Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Prime Minister is asking the United States for help in releasing the two Michaels before any trade deal is signed with China. The latest on Health Canada's proposed ban on vaping ads. And are you tired of Donald Trump? Is it overexposure? Like a bad TV show. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right. uh, China is saying that the case of the two detained Canadians has been turned over to prosecutors. Uh, This comes as the uh, and as a result of that, the prime minister has asked the U.S. not to sign any sort of trade deals with China without somehow uh, weaving the two Michaels into this uh, situation. Uh, Here's a couple of clips from the prime minister on this. This is a, an issue that we take very seriously, uh, that is a priority and it is at the top of uh, Canada's relations with China, whether we're uh, engaging at the diplomatic level or at the trade level or at, uh, at the leader's level. I regret the situation. I regret that there are two Canadians in, uh, in detention in China, but I can't regret that we fulfilled the terms of an international extradition treaty with our closest ally and partner. All right, to talk more about this, let's bring in Charles Burton, Associate Professor, Department of Political Science, Brock University. Plenty of experience in this sort of thing. He is with us now. Charles, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Good to speak with you. Uh, Earlier on, before this information regarding the Prime Minister, we certainly had heard that uh, uh, China had ratcheted this up a notch by, uh, I I guess, putting the two Michaels into the prosecution system. Talk about that and, and what that stage means. Well, of course, they've been held for uh, a year now um, under very harsh conditions uh, without access to legal counsel or the ability to see family members. They've, they've received consular visits every month for half an hour. That's it. So this new process indicates that the investigation um, by the Chinese authorities has been completed. And in the Chinese system, once something has been referred to the prosecutors, then um, the chances of conviction are extremely high. So we're looking at a situation where it's uh, likely that false charges of espionage will be um, laid against Mr. Kovrick and Mr. Saver, um, and that uh, the penalty for espionage is uh, death in China. You know, they do more executions in China by bullet to the back of the head than all other countries of the world combined. So. It's a very serious uh, development. I think that we have seen in the past with other foreign nationals that when it comes to the um, prosecution stage, a trial is held likely to amount to half a day. Um, It'll be held in secret because they'll say, you know, national security issues don't allow us to to, uh, uh, publicize the trial. But in the case of of some um, former um, prisoners held under similar circumstances, Peter Humphreys from uh, Britain, for example, or uh, the Dane Peter Dallins and our own uh, Kevin Garrett, once the sentence is handed down, the um, foreign uh, national is repatriated back to their own country. In the case of Garrett, he was held for 775 days. And then, you know, in retaliation for another extradition case involving a Chinese aerospace um, uh, espionage agent called Subin, once Mr. Su left Canada, actually voluntarily, he decided to go state's evidence to the United States. Uh, there was no point holding Garrett anymore. So then they, they raised the charge and released him. What will be happening with Kovrick and Saver remains uncertain. But, you know, bringing up someone for espionage charges in the Chinese system is uh, not a good development. Uh, is this the Chinese system just running through the process? The t- that's why the timing is now? Or is this somehow politically lo- uh, located, uh, linked to something else that's going on or, or has just happened? Well, I think the Chinese government is aware that uh, the Canadian public is is skeptical of um, further engagement with China. We've got a Senate committee considering whether we should be putting Chinese officials on on the Magnitsky list, in other words, implementing the Justice for Victims of Corrupt Foreign Officials Act, whereby um, senior Chinese officials who are seen as complicit in human rights violations, which would include Kovrigan's favors cases or um, what's going on in Hong Kong, or particularly the cultural genocide of Turkic Muslims in 
northwest China would be denied access to Canada and their assets in Canada would be frozen. Well, you know, there are quite a few senior members of the Chinese regime who have considerable assets in Canada of doubtful provenance, and so that would really um, have a negative impact uh, in China if if Xi Jinping's uh, leadership is not able to protect those senior members of the regime. And there are other considerations that have come up. You know, people are talking about whether we should be blocking um, Canadian airspace to Chinese uh, cargo shipments to the United States or um, engaging in uh, slow customs inspection of Chinese goods coming into Canada on the basis that China's not been responsive to our concerns over the fentanyl crisis, where most of the fentanyl, uh, well, pretty much all of the fentanyl in Canada comes from factories in southern China. So, you know, I think that this is a kind of um, measure by China to try and stave off um, Canadian response. And the recent statement by uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has the same effect in the sense that he says that he hopes that the United States will not sign a final and complete agreement with China that doesn't settle the question of Meng Wanzhou and the two Canadians, but a final and complete agreement with China on trade um, under the Trump administration is clearly not going to be happening anytime soon. So it, in effect, allows this thing to go on uh, um, absolving our own political authorities from any responsibility to engage in effective Canadian uh, policy action to counter what China's been doing. Uh, this new position, uh, or is this a new position, that uh, that Prime Minister Trudeau has has chatted with Trump in regard to signing a deal? Is this something that's just coming out now, or is this something he is just starting to do now? Well, it, it came up in a couple of his French-language interviews. That Yeah, the end-of-year interviews, it came out, yeah. There's no indication that he's actually spoken with Mr. Trump about this, or right. that Mr. Trump has concurred. And my judgment is that it's pretty unlikely that that the massive U.S.-China trade deal uh, would be made contingent on uh, China releasing Kovrigan's favor. And it's interesting that Mr. Trudeau suggests that the question of Meng Wanzhou should be resolved at the same time. It looks very much like the um, original proposal by Mr. Manley of a hostage exchange. Um, you know, there really isn't a basis for us to release Meng Wanzhou um, in terms of Canadian law because of our commitment to the extradition treaty and the precedent that this would set for other extraditions that foreign governments would prefer not happen. In other words, it would set a precedent that you can you know, kidnap Canadians off the streets of your country and hold them under harsh conditions and the Canadian government will abandon an extradition process. And it also suggests that Mr. Trump could somehow or other abrogate a judicial process of the Eastern District of New York um, Justice Department that has been um, underway since before the Trump presidency. So, you know, the, the, mm. the statement does seem quite problematic from my point of view, and it makes me concerned that it means that our government doesn't plan to do anything to uh, effectively um, liberate Kovrigan's uh, favor from the hell they're currently experiencing. So this really isn't any leverage at all? Well, the Chinese government did... Uh, has responded. Um, clearly, we got their attention with it. They're scornful of the Canadian government in this regard, but maybe it, you know, it does give them uh, a further cause for concern that we will be doing something uh, to to uh, retaliate. But up to now, our lack of response to what China's been doing with Kovrigan's favor and, you know, the billions of dollars of of punishment that they've inflicted on Canadian agricultural producers whose product has been banned from China, this is the canola seeds, all of the meat for a period and the slowing of soybeans, is effective and, and works, and they could do more of it. And so, you know, our, we're in effect giving tacit consent to the Chinese regime by our policies, which amount essentially to appeasement in the hope that we can maintain strong economic relations with China and that they won't retaliate against the large Canadian businesses that have so much... Um, dependence on Chinese communist business networks for their own uh, bottom line. Uh, they have Canadians, Michael Kovrick and Michael Spavier. We have, uh, we're holding uh, the CFO of Huawei for extradition to the United States. Trudeau saying, you, you, before you do anything trade-wise with China, make sure the two Michaels are, are kept in mind. That being said, 
he has the ultimate trump card, no pun intended, with with this case regarding the Huawei CFO. So over and above a trade deal regarding the two Michaels, can any trade deal be done while the CFO is in limbo this way? Well, certainly I think that Canada-China relations are, are you know, on hold, and any notion that we could engage in sectoral trade deals with China or, uh, you know, start negotiating free trade are pretty much off the agenda. Yeah. And in any event, the Prime Minister went to China um, um, last year and attempted to start negotiations for a free trade deal, um, articulating conditions with regard to uh, gender rights, uh, labor rights, and environment that would form a precedent for this deal, you know, similar to the kinds of conditions that we're doing with uh, Mexico in the new NAFTA. And the Chinese government simply shut him down and said, we won't talk about that at all. They're not prepared to to empower their labor with labor unions or, or to do anything um, uh, that would set a precedent for their overall um, industrial policy just for a trade deal with a, a relatively minor player in the global order like Canada. So going into the new year, what is the state of the relationship between Canada and China? Has it worsened in the last few months? I'd say it's worsened because I think that, you know, Canadians have become more aware of the nature of the Chinese regime, and public opinion polls show that there's a a considerable um, drop in approval for Canada engaging uh, with that regime under the current circumstances. And China is now aware of that? Yes, and, and uh, you know, because of the minority parliament situation, the Conservatives, uh, with full support of all the other uh, opposition parties against Liberal Party uh, objection, have uh, uh, forced the Commons to set up a China c- committee. And so there will be hearings on Canada-China relations that will shed some, I think, light on what's going on and should further intensify the the movement uh, to induce our government to do a reset with China and start to stand up, I think, better for Canadian interests there and and accept that the Chinese regime may retaliate against some Canadian business and political interests, but that that's the cost we have to pay to to restore our our respect for the international rules-based order, which serves Canada as a middle power so well. What do you think this committee will find? And you, so obviously you think it's a good idea. Some had said that, you know, too many too many cooks in the kitchen at this point. Uh, wh- wh- what do you think this committee will find out? Well, I think that certainly, that, you know, we want to see how the Chinese regime engages in political influence operations and to see if, if there are um, some irregularities in... Uh, um, former civil servants and former senior politicians who, after they leave office, are able to engage in lucrative careers involving China-associated law firms, boards, businesses, and so on, whether there is an understanding that if when you're in power or, or in a senior civil servant role, if you don't support policies which would be hostile to China's economic and geostrategic interests, that you will benefit economically on retirement. And this is something that a lot of countries are looking at, particularly Australia, which now has a, a Foreign Influence Transparency Act scheme that requires um, politicians and senior civil servants after they've left um, office to be transparent about where their money's coming from. And I think, uh, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And we might uh, decide that it would be in the Canadian interest to engage, to have similar legislation to that of Australia just so that we're aware of, of what's going on with Chinese money and interest and in, influence in our country and, and seeing if, if that really serves Canadians, uh, Canada's overall interests or whether it's something that we should be looking at more closely and, and ensuring that uh, China's not buying influence in ways which dam- damage uh, Canada's commitment to democracy and human rights and, uh, and the rules-based global order. So considering how far we have come with China-Canadian relations in the past, and China's now aware uh, of the changing of the tide, so to speak, uh, are, are they concerned with that in the extent that, and I guess their, their uh, actions in Hong Kong kind of answer this question, um, uh, are they just digging in their heels on everything, or are they concerned that, wow, they might be limiting themselves as far as growth in the future? Well, I think there's certainly um, a concern about about pushing it too far. I mean, you bring up the Hong Kong situation, 
you know, up to now, the Chinese army has not gone in to put this down by force, because I think the Chinese regime recognizes that there would be a very negative international response to anything like that, and it would impact on their ability to um, form alliances uh, with countries in the region and, and with Taiwan, and to, you know, successfully give the impression that, that China is a country which um, behaves morally in global affairs, uh, they try and argue that they that they're a, a better partner for countries than the United States, and this whole discourse that China will uh, soon overtake the United States as the global hegemon, and therefore Canada and other countries should make the necessary compromises to our principles and commitment to citizenship values and the independence of judiciary, so that we can continue to benefit from China's rise in the context of a declining U.S. Um, I think this is largely a mythology. The, the comparison that's done by people who support this idea in Canada is the rise of the United States and the decline of British colonialism and that we should get on the right side of history and hmm. and get there with China. But I don't think we should be uh, counting the United States out too soon, nor be confident that China's growth will continue in a in a straight line into the years and decades ahead. Charles Burton has been with us, Associate Professor, Department of Political Science, Brock University, and former counselor at the Canadian Embassy to China. Charles, as always, thank you so much for the time and insight and everything you've contributed and helped us out with over the year. We much appreciate it. Have a great holiday. A great, uh, good Christmas to you and your listeners, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, by the way, feel free. Uh, you can get all the information on the CHML Children's Fund at 900CHML.com. And it is very easy to donate. Simply text donate to 30333. That's 30333, an instant $5. Uh, and it's, it's very easy to do, man. We've all done it here. I did it on the show. And uh, immediately you're prompted and asked if you want to make a $5 donation to the CHML Children's Fund and blah, blah, blah. It's very, very easy. Also, toy uh, distribution, and you can drop any of your stuff off to 875 Main Street West, any local fire station or McDonald's location. Also, uh, receiving toys for the CHML uh, Christmas Tree of Hope campaign. Still got some time to squeak it all in. The lobby's still stacked with toys. It's coming and going pretty quick. Uh, so again, anything you could do to help us push over the edge for this year uh, and uh, the drive, we would very much uh, appreciate it. All the details at 900CHML.com. And don't forget to make a quick text donation, five bucks. Text donate to 30333 and uh, you are in. Uh, lots of discussion in the country and certainly on this show in regard to vaping and how this, uh, I guess, process that started as a, a way to get off smoking has kind of developed into its own industry and becoming, uh, you know, a recreational thing now. And many have questioned why, you know, with, with the ads and, and such and the regulation we have, uh, or so the restricting of ads and regulations that we have in and around tobacco, how vaping seems at this point to be getting a, a free ride. It looks like that's going to change, and Health Canada has proposed a ban on vaping ads. Uh, we're going to hear more about that in just a second. First, you might remember there was a, a situation in London, and um, and there was this, this teen that was developing what, or had developed what, uh, they call popcorn lung. Here's a clip from Dr. Therese Martineau uh, from London who was involved in this case. We've known for a while that uh, diacetyl is actually found in some of these uh, um, e-cigarette and, um, and uh, vaping compounds. Um, it was studied uh, in, a, in a few uh, studies of the cartridges uh, in, the, in the U.S. And uh, it, it's used in the flavoring of, the, of these compounds because it smells, it's so flavorful. So we suspect that many of these flavored cartridges are uh, using diacetyl and other, f- other flavoring agents, which may also be toxic. There are over 7,000 different flavoring compounds that may be used. And uh, we've been worried that some of these uh, vaping uh, events may, may cause acute lung injury, such as popcorn lung. And we haven't actually seen any of them that have been so convincing until this recent case that was quite severe and, uh, and very scary. He was vaping for uh, about five months, which is not actually that long, and then within about a week developed a cough, fever, shortness of breath, presented to the hospital. Within another week, was admitted to the hospital. Within another week, he was actually on life support on a respirator. And a week later, he was failing even on the regular respirator that was breathing 
for him and required a higher level of life support called ECMO, where his blood was being circulated through a machine that was oxygenating it and removing carbon dioxide outside of his body. He was really close to death at that point. Mm. Uh, that's a clip from uh, an earlier show of ours with Dr. Teresa Martineau uh, from London talking about a uh, severe case that had happened uh, in that area. Let's bring in Rob Cunningham, Senior Policy Advisor, Canadian Cancer Society, and get his take on all of this. Rob is with us now. Rob, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Scott, good to be with you. So what are the laws now surrounding vaping? And as far well, as advertising and how you can sell it, how, how restrictive is this? Is it comparable to tobacco? It's, well, at the moment, it's the, the restrictions are much weaker than tobacco. Um, but the new measures announced by Health Canada and the Minister of Health, Patty Haidu, there's still going to be a consultation period before they're finalized, but they're going to make it quite similar to tobacco. Um, so for e-cigarettes, the only places where it's going to be able to be advertised is going to be places where young people can't go, such as a bar or a vape shop. Um, and uh, some, like in the Internet, where there's an age-gated process, you know, some type of, you know, age verification, not simply checking a box that you're 19, and also some publications sent directly to a named adult. And that's it. Like, and that's a big difference, because right now, it's possible for there to be e-cigarette advertising on television, on social media, on billboards, uh, you know, public transit, like Union Station in Toronto was like entirely covered at one point with e-cigarette ads. So kids right now are being tremendously exposed, and that's going to change. How long till this all comes into play by the time they are, they're finished the cult, uh, consultation process and, st- and such? When do you actually expect to see a concrete uh, guideline here, a concrete law? Yeah, so I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, the 30-day consultation period will bring us to something like January 20th. Health Canada officials will then uh, review the responses. So I think, you know, um, if they were to go April 1st, would be would be quick. Um, but certainly we're urging this to be adopted as, as soon as possible. Um, the government could do it in that time frame. And there's another aspect, and that's convenience stores. Um, that was my next and, question. I mean, they're all over co- corner stores. Yeah. And so Ontario was very slow to catch up to other provinces on this. And uh, in Ontario, in this fall, Health Minister Christine Elliott uh, brought forward a, a, an amendment uh, so that these are going to be banned as of January 1st. So we're days away from that in Ontario. Uh, but seven other provinces have long had this in place. And, you know, it was... Uh, so, sorry, the, just to reiterate, what happens January? So all of those ads yeah. that we now see in convenience stores are right. no longer going to be allowed. Right. Um, and they'll, they'll only be allowed in adult-only specialty vape stores. And, and so, what about the products themselves in convenience stores? So right now, they're covered up. Um, and, and so they will continue to be covered up, like tobacco is. Right. Uh, they can't. They can't be on overt display. Again, there's an exception for specialty vape stores. Um, and now, but they've been very tricky with some of their ads. Um, you know, some of their ads look like it's a product on display, but it's really just a piece of paper. Um, so <laughs> they've been getting around it, and it's a real. It's been a real problem. So when kids have been going in to buy uh, chocolate bars or you know soda, you know candy and. and things like that. They're seeing all these ads. And these ads have contributed to an increase in youth vaping. We had a previous study uh, released um, in June, and from 2017 to 2018, in a single year for 16 to 19-year-olds, there's an increase of 74%. And then just yesterday, Health Canada released even more recent data for the 2018-2019 school year, and there's a further increase among um, high school students in Canada. So if we're to look at grade 10 to 12 students, uh, compared to two years earlier, has gone from 15% to 29% yeah. of, uh, of vaping. It's, it's just going up like crazy, and we need, to, we need to get this under control. Are you surprised that this is taking so long? Well, I'm... Especially uh, considering how far we've come with tobacco products. Yeah, it's extremely discouraging, because we have made such great progress to reduce e-smoking, and to see a new generation of kids get addicted to nicotine uh, this way uh, through e-cigarettes simply shouldn't be happening. Um, so, uh, it has taken too long for governments to respond in the sense that for legalization of cannabis, they were fairly well prepared, uh, with the laws in place. That's not been the case for e-cigarettes. We've had to learn. In fact, we've had to repeat history, um, you know, what the tobacco companies were doing, you know, four decades ago, and we had to put all these measures in place step by step and there's more to be done. And Health Canada yesterday, uh, signaled that they're going to be looking at further restrictions on flavors 
and on maximum nicotine levels. Uh, those are both good measures. Um, the European Union for some years has had a maximum nicotine level of 20 milligrams per milliliter for e-cigarettes. There are some products on the market uh, that are almost triple that, at 59 or 57. And BC is going to have, as of April 1st, um, this standard uh, for nicotine. And so that makes it easier for the federal government, I believe, uh, to do the same thing. And also Nova Scotia has banned flavors, um, except for tobacco flavor. That's going to come into force April 1st. Hmm. Again, that paves the way for the federal government. And, uh, you know, in Ontario, Health Minister Christine Elliott says she's looking at doing something on flavors at maximum nicotine levels. Governments are now seized of this because of the tremendous increase in youth vaping, because of what you mentioned, the you know, very severe cases of respiratory disease in, in terms of the interview um, that you played and and the deaths that have occurred, including among many young people. That has really been a shock uh, to think the system has prompted the government to act. It's, uh, you wonder how they were even cleared for sale in the first place. Again, I can understand new product, new this, new that, new sales pitch. I get that. But again, considering where we've come from, I'm surprised they even said, yeah, go ahead, you can sell them, before any of this was even in place. Well, yeah, that's right. These, these protective measures uh, should have been in place. We're not playing catch-up. We're trying to put the genie yeah. back in the bottle. Um, and, you know, we have, uh, you know, uh, an entirely avoidable situation. There's an enormous amount of work uh, to be done. We still don't know the long-term effects of these products. The intent was, uh, you know, that these were intended for adults unable to quit smoking. Yeah. But the, the reality is, is that we have this incredible number of young people that are using these, young people who would otherwise never be smokers. I wonder uh, what the numbers are as far as those that are have purchased them in order to help them quit smoking versus those that are just using them recreationally now. Well, I mean, there's certainly a lot of, certainly among, you know, people under 25, it's overwhelmingly recreational. Yeah. And so about, um, of people who are using these cigarettes, 65% are still smoking. And 15% are never smokers. So already 80% of e-cigarette users are still smoking or have never smoked. And that's not the point. You know, I mean, uh, you know, if you're, if you're to switch, you're supposed to be switching completely. And, you know, that leaves 20%. And, you know, a portion of those, what if people uh, have been people who quit the market entirely and have come back because they're attracted to the flavors or the low price um, or, or whatever. And, you know, the discreet nature of the products and, and the low price tax is something that the Ontario government can do. Uh, Health Finance Minister Rod Phillips is something that Bill Morneau as Federal Finance Minister can do. It, that has been the most effective strategy that we've had to reduce smoking, especially among teenagers. And e-cigarettes are just so cheap uh, compared to conventional cigarettes. That's, that's, we've seen many U.S. states do this. Hmm. That it, it's a measure for governments to, to be pursuing as well. Worried about a contraband industry forming if that happens, but I guess that's always the case, right? Well, um, Certainly not if there's a federal tax because it applies on reserves. Is this and a federal issue or is this a provincial issue? It could be both. Yeah. So we, bought, we have both federal and provincial tobacco taxes. Um, BC and Alberta are moving forward with their own uh, taxes on vaping products. I expect um, that other provinces are looking at this. Um, but I think that if you had, um, you, know, uh, you can do things to prevent contraband. And for example, um, uh, in the West, we don't really have any contraband tobacco. Uh, you know, Ontario, there is an issue with on-reserve sales, and but Ontario has not implemented some of the other measures hmm. uh, that other provinces have, and, that, and that's an opportunity for Finance Minister Rudfeld to, to fix that. Uh, are you concerned this is the rebirth of smoking? Well, uh, certainly we'll, we'll, one element of concern is that the total nicotine market is increasing substantially. I mean, that's you know, uh, theoretically you're not smoking cigarettes anymore, uh, but the, all, all that's really changed is the method of consumption. Well, uh, you know, we still have a lot of people smoking. There's still you yep. know, 5 million Canadians who smoke. And, uh, you know, the total nicotine market among kids has jumped dramatically. And, um, you know, part of the concern is that youth who use e-cigarettes are more likely later to become smokers. You know, they're addicted. And, you know, uh, through the dual use, um, many people are inhibited from quitting. And certainly it's a tobacco industry marketing strategy um, that they want to keep people smoking. And they're very sophisticated. And if, this, if they can have this product as a way to tie people over, you know, because they can, 
use it in their car and their spouse won't object or whatever. Are toba- is the uh, tobacco industry behind vaping? Oh, yes. Yeah. So that they dominate the, the vaping category now in Canada. So Imperial Tobacco has its brand. JTA McDonald has its brand. Jewel is a corporate affiliate of Philip Morris. Um, there's another brand um, that's uh, owned by a, a, a Imperial Brands, which is a different tobacco company in the UK, but they're selling vaping products in Canada. So yes, it's these same companies. Hmm. And um, and you know what is their history? D- does the world know that? Do they realize that? Well, I think governments increasingly are attuned to this. I think the general public may not, because the brand. In other words, hey kids, we've spent the last however many years trying to get you off these. So the same company that you know processed or produced those are now producing these. Are you are you seeing the correlation here? (laughs) Making the connection. I mean, it seems like a relatively easy sell, but one that somehow has been uh, somehow they've drawn a curtain around. Well, I mean, we are seeing governments act. And it's very encouraging. Uh, Prince Edward Island just adopted a law, unanimous all-party support, to increase the minimum age to 21 uh, from 19, and also to require that e-cigarettes only be sold from specialty vape stores and not convenience stores, gas stations, grocery stores, and kind of like the way cannabis is sold. And those are measures that Ontario could do. Um, you know, age 21 has been adopted by 18 U.S. states for both tobacco and e-cigarettes. Uh, there's public support for it, uh, over 80%. Um, and, um, you know, right now, if somebody is 17, um, they're going to probably know somebody who's 19, you know, um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a friend, a brother, a sister, um, but at 21, it's a lot harder. So it, it, it will make some difference. It's not going to eliminate the problem, but it's one aspect among other measures. Uh, in the end, what will we see? Will we see something that's equivalent to tobacco or even, even as you said, cannabis or alcohol? Well, I think in terms of stores, I think that would be the proper retail distribution system so that, you know, yeah. it's not an impulse purchase when people buy their milk or their newspaper or whatever. And they're just It's bizarre them. people are concerned about alcohol in corner stores, but this doesn't seem to register. Well, I think, uh, uh, I think people are going to get increasingly concerned. Yeah. And principals, parents, members of the community simply can't believe it. Yeah. Well, um, all you have to do is drive by any school, right? Yeah. It's like the old. It's like the old days all over again. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and it just happens so quickly. But these products are highly addictive. You know, the formulation um, that's been used, um, you know, is very attractive. They're very discreet in their shape. That parents or teachers may not know that they're being used. You know, some high schools have to take the door off of bathrooms um, because the outside door, not the inner doors, um, because just to monitor students using these. Uh, it has gotten out of control, and uh, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, are are the provinces talking to each other about this? Uh, I think I think absolutely they are. And you know, when we have um, you know one province do something, and then another, it, it provides kind of like leapfrog. And so we look in the past when one province banned smoking in vehicles with kids, or banned uh, you know re- uh, smoking in restaurants and bars or banned retail displays of, you know, you know, the products in the convenience stores. That provided examples for other provinces, and, you know, they had the domino effect. And I think that's going to happen again, you know, with respect to the measures that have been adopted for e-cigarettes. Um, you know, Nova Scotia's ban on flavored tobacco, uh, sorry, flavored e-cigarettes, except for tobacco flavor, is an important measure. That's really something that uh, is attractive to kids in terms of the, there's several thousand uh, potential flavors out there in the market. We mm. simply don't need that. Um, uh, so yes, uh, provinces are, are are speaking to to each other. Where do you see this five ten years from now? It sounds like you got to ramp up the smoking campaign all over again. It's so, like the same principle that you used to to stamp out smoking way back when. You've got to reengage and modernize for this for this problem. Yeah, we do. I mean, there's a, a need for tax, uh, legislative, and programming measures. We have tremendous experience in what works and how to emphasize, you know, uh, the public yeah. health comes first. Um, so where are, gonna, where are we going to be five or ten years from now? I don't know. You know, five years ago, I didn't think where we'd be are today. Um, yeah. And uh, it all depends on how quickly we adopt measures. And if we do a comprehensive set of measures quickly, um, it's gonna be much, we're going to be much better off in five or ten years compared to if we don't. 
Rob Cunningham has been with us, Senior Policy Advisor, Canadian Cancer Society. Health Canada has proposed a ban on vaping ads in public spaces and such online as slowly uh, government and regulation starts to catch up with this industry. Rob, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Scott, anytime. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, We spent many uh, days on this show talking about the president of the United States, probably every single one since he was elected. And we've talked about this, what we're about to talk about, a few times. And no matter what your politics are, no matter how you feel about the president of the United States and what he's done, all of that shtick, uh, at what point do people just become exhausted with all of this? Um, just too much overexposure, too much of a brand. It's like a it's like a song that came on the radio that was really popular and they played it to death. So even if you liked it, you don't want to hear it anymore. You don't want to hear from it anymore. And here's a, a clip that maybe this is one of the reasons we're getting to this point. Now I understand they're playing games. They don't want to put in their articles. They're ridiculous, phony, fraudulent articles. Uh, And I think uh, they're not allowed to do that. Uh, Here it's unconstitutional and a lot of other things, but they don't want to put them in because they're ashamed of them because it's uh, what they've done is wrong. Blah, 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 blah. Like, are we just tired of the Donald Trump show? Survivor, it's been going on for a bazillion years. I remember seeing it as a summer replacement. I haven't seen it in 100 years. I said to my wife, it was in the news because of the case that's going. Is that still on? Uh, Let's bring in Mike Armstrong. The column is taking the pulse of America in the age of President Donald Trump. It's too much. And he is with us now. Mike, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, good afternoon. This is a great piece. Where did you get the idea to do it? How did this all come about? Well, we kind of did something similar during the uh, 2016 election campaign. And I, I sort of picked a spot where Pennsylvania meets West Virginia and Maryland. So you've got Maryland, which is uh, sort of leans Democratic, West Virginia, which leans heavily uh, Republican, and then Pennsylvania, which is one of these uh, swing states that basically decides the U.S. elections. And uh, I went to the three cities around that T where the three states meet to get an idea, a feel for how things were going during the election. And so we decided three years later to go back. And so that's what we did. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what you were just talking about, that sort of uh, fatigue or overload. I even got that from people who said, I love Donald Trump. I'll vote for Donald Trump again tomorrow if I get the chance. Um, but yeah, that, that's the criticism I have of him. I heard that over and over. And as a matter of fact, uh, you mentioned sort of tuning it out. I, we went to Morgantown, West Virginia, and a gentleman, a barber, said to me, it's kind of like kids. And when the, your kid asks, can I have this, can I have this, can I have this, and you just you don't hear it anymore, uh, Donald Trump news has gotten to that point. Although the gentleman he was, whose hair he was cutting said, I, I'm fed up, I, I just can't get away from it, I can't get away from it. So yeah. not everyone can tune it out. Uh, what's this, uh, this part of the world like? How, why is this a great gauge of America? You said because it, it, it's, it's three states coming together with different political, uh, different political views. But what are these people like? Well, I mean, you go to Friendsville, and it's a small, I think, 465 people in this small, small uh, community. And, and it's in the western end of Maryland. So it does lean perhaps a little bit to, towards Trump, despite being in a state um, that uh, tends to vote Democrat. Um, but, you know, you, you get these people who say, um, look, any time, what it gave me was a feeling or an understanding for how uh, negative and difficult the discourse is right now. We had a gentleman say, like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm in favor of tighter borders, but any time I say that, I'm automatically a racist. And we heard that yeah. over and over. People say, you know, and, and I had a woman say, I don't care what people say. Uh, I know how I'm going to vote because it's in my heart, and I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. And, and so they sort of aren't listening to any arguments out there. And we had, <laughs> you had the same thing on the other side. Uh, people who say they go to dinner parties and... They just are not comfortable talking. I've, ha- I've heard that. I mean, my yeah. wife and I were at a, uh, a gathering, an open house type thing uh, last weekend. There were people there from Alabama, and they said, we can't talk anything about politics. Because as soon as people yeah. find out they're from Alabama, then immediately it goes to Trump, and they just, no, we just, otherwise there's war. Even, like, whether it's at a, a little party like this or at the dinner table or what have you, it's, it's very divisive. 
Oh, I, I got that over and over from people. Um, although it's kind of funny because Americans tend to be more willing to stop on the street and speak to you, to uh, a person with a camera like myself, hmm. uh, than Canadians are. They're very, very friendly, and we didn't have any trouble at all getting people to talk to us. But yeah, that's what they said. As a matter of fact, I've seen polls that say about 51% uh, of people would not express their views uh, to people of uh, the other side, um, that it gets hmm. just uncomfortable, it gets negative, it can go south in a hurry. We also went to Ohio on this trip, and uh, there's a Lebanon, Ohio, and met a group uh, called Better Angels that brings together people from the two sides uh, to to teach them how to talk to each other. That's hilarious. Instead of at each other. Yeah, it was fascinating. There's advocacy group. There's so much divisiveness. There's advocacy groups forming to bring people together. And uh, yeah, uh, we attended a debate, uh, a debate actually on socialized medicine. So it was kind of neat to be there as a Canadian. Um, But they really invite half Republicans and half Democrats. And the idea is not to convince the other side, but to listen to the other side. And so, so they try to get you to to talk policies as opposed to attributing motives to the policies. Hmm. So if someone says they want tighter borders, you don't automatically say they hate immigrants. Right. Um, things hmm. like that. Hmm. Uh, you know, you, and so it was quite... Well, again, it's, we've, we've become a world of extremes. It's either the far left or the far right. The center has seemed to disappear. What is the difference between the attitude or the tone today as opposed to way back three years ago? Geez, I'm not sure there is that big a difference. I think probably opinions are more entrenched than they were, uh, if anything. Uh, that seems to be the feeling that I had. And, and I would say perhaps that... But Trump that would be at the beginning of all of the ride, before the exha- exhaustion yeah. has started. Um, more positive back then? Although I'm sure yeah. each team was just as solidified, but, but positive then? No, now that you ask, I mean, I, I would have to say that the... Um, the people, the Trump supporters that I met did express that it's all been too much uh, and that if they had one criticism of the president, it would be that perhaps he doesn't have to be in the news every day, um, but he is. And that uh, so I, I did hear that over and over. Uh, Friendsville, by the way, has this interesting law where <laughs> there's a liquor store, a tiny, tiny little liquor store in this small town where you can actually open a bottle and drink it in, on the counter at the cash register. And so that's a good place for a political discussion. Wow, I bet, yeah. (laughs) Bring the camera. (laughs) Yeah, kind of a weird place. Uh, Are people relating the divisiveness that the country is now in, are they relating that to Donald Trump? In other words, is there there more divisiveness now? Do they see people's just opinions being deeper, or do they see him as being responsible for whipping everybody into a frenzy? Most of the polls that are out there do blame Donald Trump. Uh, if you look at the polls, Pew, Pew had a poll this summer that said 85% of Americans think that the tone in the country has gotten more negative. And of the people that answered that it's gotten more negative, uh, 52% of them said that uh, they, they blame Donald Trump for that. Um, so the, most people would say that. Do you think it could get to the point where it will be tone, overexposure, character, that brings this person down as opposed to policy? Jeez, it's, it, um, I mean, again, it, it reminds me of a, of a pop song that you've heard too much, and it just keeps, they keep playing it, playing it, playing it, playing it until it's, it, it's, it's overdone. And then the public swings back. I mean, everything to do with branding suggests that this is coming. We saw this happen with the prime minister. The honeymoon only lasts so long, even if you've got a solid base. And then sooner or later, people start... You know, I've had enough of this. And, and, and I remember, uh, we were saying this off air, I remember when, prior to the whole uh, uh, Donald Trump thing, when Justin Trudeau first came onto the scene and the whole selfie and blah, 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 I mean, compared to the former Prime Minister, uh, Stephen Harper, he, he looked like, my goodness, this guy is in the news all the day. Now, nothing certainly even close to what Donald Trump is, but you can see how the Prime Minister has pulled that back. Uh, again, I'm wondering if Donald Trump's aware he's just in everybody's face too much and we've got our own lives, <laughs> not just his. I, I think the difference, I think that what's going on in the States, one of the things you sort of feel from Donald Trump is that he doesn't really care about the people that aren't supporting him. Yeah. And all of his rallies are just to entrench opinions and solidify that base more. Uh, basically, he knows he can win with without a majority of voters. You don't actually need that in the U.S. 
don't need that in Canada, as we saw in our election. Um, but so, so he, every rally that he has, basically the policies he brings in are all about making sure that that base is solid uh, and that support in the Republican Party is solid. And I think we've sort of been waiting for three years to see a crack in that, and we haven't seen it yet. Uh, you know, you were talking about the rally and the rally that was just on the other day during the midst of the in the midst of the impeachment stuff that was going on. Um, and here we are talking about overexposure. And again, I, I think to entertainment acts or whatever, how long can he keep walking into a town and filling up the place? It's unbelievable. Actually, and the, the trip that we took. Um, we were one week off. We didn't know he was going to Hershey because I'm telling you, I would have stayed yeah. uh, to, to, in Pennsylvania to see one of those rallies uh, because it's it's something else. I don't know if you if you have a chance. There was a really interesting thing on the Daily Show where they they talked to people about um, the importance of reading the transcripts, and they had people outside that rally saying, mm-hmm. "Yeah, you have to read the transcript. Read the transcript." And he said, "Well, have you read the transcript? No, I haven't, but everybody should." Yeah, you know, over and, and then over. they and they have the shirts that say, "Read the transcript." And apparently the actual document it said, apparently the actual document itself says on it, this is not a real transcript Yeah, <laughs> because it's just points anyway. Yep. Um, so um, is overexposure an issue or is it someone, is it, is it just an, another loose thread in this sweater? It depends on who you talk to. I mean, uh, I would say. What about it, the trend is the way it's growing? I mean, it, it yeah. doesn't, it, you know, uh, are we waiting for the next season of Donald Trump? I mean, are we eagle? Is it like binge watching? Well, I'll tell you the 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 thing that I did hear from people over and over, especially with that Better Angels group, um, trying to trying to improve dialogue, um, was some apprehension that it, it's a fever pitch right now, but next year's an election year, and that this is just going to get ratcheted up, and at some point we're going to have someone on the other side, a Democratic candidate as well, and that all this rhetoric is just going to be even worse next year. Um, so I, I would say there's some nervousness about that. It really is a reality show. It really is just an extension of what he is. It's not really the presidency. It's him. Yeah, it's, and it, it, yeah, it, it's funny because it is certainly where he comes from, it's, and, he, and he treats it that way every single day. A, a gentleman in that barbershop said to me, you know, if there was no news, his, his hand would sort of shake and he would have to reach for his phone. <laughs> what surprised you about this visit? How long did you spend down there? Oh, we were uh, about a week, I guess. That's uh, cool. Yeah, it was, it was great, actually. And, and this couple that we met uh, the, that set us up with the Better Angels thing, uh, Chris and Kim Watson, great story there, too. He's a Republican. She's a Democrat. Oh. Uh, that 2016 election was not, not, <laughs> not an easy time in their home. Uh, basically, she said after, the, after Donald Trump won, she, Kim said she didn't leave the house for five days. Um, and then, uh, you know, they had trouble. She went to the Women's March in January in D.C., and uh, her husband said, uh, you know, he just thought she was nuts. And he just kept his head down for, for months, um, fearing that, because as he said, anything could set her off. That, that, that was sort of the status of their marriage. Displaced anger. <laughs> Displaced yeah. political and, anger. Well, at least, you know, that, at least it makes you confident or, or at least uh, some sort of resolve that at least it's bothering them as much as it's bothering the rest of the world. I interrupted. Go ahead. No, no, fair enough. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the, the Better Angels thing, it, it, he thought she was crazy for joining this group. And it's actually helped him as well, and and they can sort of have conversations that they couldn't have um, before. It's quite funny. So it's sort, of poli- example, it's sort of political marriage counseling. Yeah, and it's a great example, too, of the sort of echo chambers that, that people live in. He, uh, Chris listens, listens to conservative talk radio all the time, and his wife listens to NPR, and they can't listen to each other's radio. When they're in the car, they listen to music. That's funny. Wow. <laughs> And you wonder how many households there are like that across the uh, across the country. What surprised you about this visit? Well, uh, you know what is this surprised you? The the fact that people are just they're exhausted with this. They're 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 over they're overexposed. I would say I was perhaps not surprised by how fatigued people are. I think we expected that, but I was reminded again of how friendly Americans are. 
through it all, we just had a great time. I, I met a ton of uh, wonderful people. Uh, no bad experiences anywhere we went, despite the fact that we were sticking microphones in people's faces and talking politics. Everyone was friendly. Uh, so I, I think, uh, you know, we, you hear people talk about civil war. Mm. Literally, that's you, you hear those clips, right? People are talking yep, about civil yep, war. Yep. It still feels like a friendly place for the most part. It's an, it's interesting and great that you're saying that because I'm sure America needs that pat on the back right now because how yeah. is this all affecting their image worldwide? I mean, you look at what happened in at Buckingham Palace with the prime minister making the joke in and around uh, the other leaders. Uh, immediately, Biden uses that in his campaign. Is, Look, we're the laughing stock here. Um, so, so how does this, does this affect how people, and, and are Americans concerned about that? That people Donald are looking Trump, at them and laughing at them. Yeah. Donald Trump has a way. I, I watch a lot of Fox News because I, I, I find it very interesting how it is very much a, sort of an arm of the Donald Trump Republican Party right mm-hmm. now. And, and if you want to hear what, what they're saying, uh, what they want you to hear, then that's what you have to listen to. Sure. And, and, and I'll tell you, the way they turned that around was... Well, Donald Trump doesn't want to be a part of all all of that of that group. He he's an outsider. He's um, so I, that's how they're able to yeah. further entrench the base uh, by by making an argument like that about everything. Anytime there's any sort of slight against the president, they turn it around as um, this is a slight against you. Hmm. And it's interesting. History just kind of goes out the window. Like, what's the sense of having a relationship with these people anyway? What's the, what's the history of the UN? How did we even get there? That just seems all irrelevant. Yeah. And uh, well, impeachment. I don't know if you've seen what they've been doing the last couple of days uh, since the impeachment vote yeah. saying, what is impeachment anyway? This is a joke. It doesn't matter at all. Um, and and it, so they're able to sort of any, any sort of, uh, well, wrinkle in something that's what they sort of focus on and they see this is here's here's why this doesn't count it's going to be fascinating to see the fallout of the impeachment process because everybody's you know sort of knows how it's going to go it'll get tossed out in the senate but it'll be interesting to see what the collateral damage is over time with that yeah and it's more complicated than it seemed um i mean we don't exactly know if they're going to hand it over to the senate or when they're going to hand it over to the senate uh and and then fox news this morning has people saying you see, if you don't hand it over to the Senate, then the impeachment doesn't really count. It's yeah. not officially an impeachment. <laughs> it, it, it is just absolutely fascinating. I'm hooked on it. Um, I, I, I'm sadly not feeling the fatigue, although my wife wishes I, 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 I would stop listening. Well, you know, here we are, what, December 20th, normally kind of slow as far as the news front. And, you know, this day after day, we, you get another story out of it. That's for sure. We're loving it. Mike Armstrong's been with us, Global News, and the column is Taking the Pulse of America in the Age of President Donald Trump. Quote, it's too much. Uh, great read. Mike, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Awesome. Always a pleasure. Thanks. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. That's a wrap for the show. Thanks for tuning in. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to Will and Liz for producing and the great job that you kids do all year. I thank you very much for that. Uh, that's a wrap for me. I'm off because I got a root canal on Monday and then the holidays, so I'll catch you again 2020. Uh, Thank you so much for supporting the show. I greatly appreciate that. It is an honor for me to get to do this every day with you people. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.